This is Ria. Welcome to Little Stories for Tiny People. Our story today is perfect for bedtime. It has a slow pace and a heartfelt theme. And its main character doesn't really move a whole lot. So settle in beneath your weighted blanket and close your eyes and listen to our tale. I don't know if you'll be able to stay awake until the end, but you won't regret it if you do. It's called The Story of a House. Take it away, Ulrich. Remember, there are no pictures. You can imagine the pictures. You mind, you can imagine them however you want. Okay, let, let's go! This is the story of a house. You may know this house. Not this exact house. But you likely know of a house just like this one. Once I describe it to you, you might turn to the person next to you and nod knowingly, saying, I do know that house. There's one in nearly every place that has houses. Most of the other houses on the block are tidy. If there's a patch of grass out front, it's trimmed once in a while. If there are trees... They grow leaves in the springtime. At 4 a.m., there is usually a car tucked against the curb or a motorcycle in the shed. When it comes to most houses, there is a clear separation between the house and the flora and fauna surrounding it. If there are animals inside these houses, they were invited there by people Perhaps most importantly, nearly every other house, even if the grass is not trimmed or the tree out front does not spring leaves, nearly every other house shows signs of serving the purpose that all houses aim to serve, providing a home for people. But this house... The one our story follows has none of those characteristics. It sits away back from the street at the end of a long driveway, itself broken and worn away in places. The grass surrounding the house has long since given way to a meadow, an entire ecosystem unto itself. The lone tree in the yard died years ago, but there's no one within striking distance to worry each time a storm rambles through. Spindly arms of English ivy creep upwards over its edifice, as if perpetually pulling it into an earthly embrace. There is no clear distinction between the house and its environs at all. There is a hole in one of its sides, where the wood rotted, through which a shrub pokes. An upper window pane is missing, and bats have taken up residence. 
The basement is home to innumerable creatures and is the stage for unceasing dramas starring rats, mice, snakes, and the occasional frog. The house is an eyesore, a blight on an otherwise unremarkable landscape. It's the kind of house rumored to be haunted, the kind bored teenagers dare one another to approach, then run away from, (laughs) giggling. But mostly, it's the kind of place everyone ignores. The house sighs under its own weight. It flinches each time someone tosses an empty can through a window. It sleeps during the day and wakes at night when the bats are up and shuffling around. It watches the moon. It remembers a different life. It wasn't always this way. No house ever begins as a falling down mess. They all begin, each one as a dream, a promise. A newly built house is concrete evidence of hope. Each one is built with a clear purpose. None of them ever expect to end up like this. Every single one of these sad, decrepit houses, the ones you know and the ones I know, all started out brand new. So let us remember that as we visit this house of ours on a very particular day in early spring. It is the middle of a crisp, sunny afternoon, and the house is asleep. Upstairs, in the attic, the bats are asleep. Down below, in the basement, the mice are asleep within the walls. The house is on a quiet street, and since it is still early in spring, there are no sounds of lawnmowers or any of those other things people get up to as the weather warms. It is quiet until the house wakens to the sound of voices on the porch. Why haven't they put it on the market before now? Eh, I think they moved out of state a while back, and I guess it just didn't seem to be worth the trouble. It won't get much for it, of course. The person presses a steel-toed boot downward, testing the porch. We'll be lucky if this porch doesn't collapse with us on it. The house is fully awake now, feeling the heat of embarrassment creep up its ivy. The house shudders, and a loud creaking sound emanates from the porch. See what I mean? Both men laugh, as if it's some big joke. They peer into the house's windows, and she wishes they were even grimier than they are. The house cringes, Imagining what they can see through the window. The living room with that big hole in one of the walls. The chandelier that hangs crookedly from the ceiling. The forgotten pieces of furniture that act as a playground for woodland creatures. At least the stench can't travel through the glass. (laughs) Check out that wallpaper. It's all too much. The house considers waking the bats. 
Maybe they'd fly out, scaring the people away. Maybe the house could... Oh, good. The people are leaving. A sad thought comes to the house. Just looking through the window was enough to make them leave. But the house shakes off the grief that comes with that thought and replaces it with relief. The people are down the front path. All right, take care now. See ya. The house sighs. The porch sighs too. The bats seem to stir for a moment in the upstairs room, then settle. The house drifts back to sleep as the sun is still high in the sky, and being awake at this hour makes her think of things she wished to forget. The house has a thought as she settles into the quiet. They are gone now, and they will never come back. But the people do come back. A week later, the house is asleep in the middle of the day. This time, it wakens to the sound of people at the rear of the house. This is new. The house is used to teenagers sneaking around the front, peeking into the windows, and being scared off by the bats. No one ventures out back. But here are these same people again, doing just that. They approach the shed. Not the shed, the house thinks, her shutters rattling. The house has no idea what they'll find back there. There could be anything in the shed. The man with the steel-toed boots pulls at the shed door. It is warped from years of disuse, and it catches against the ground. It's not going to open. The house's thoughts drift gratefully to all the rains and the humidity over the years that twisted the shed door so that its angles are not quite square. The man plants his feet firmly against the ground and pulls the door with greater force. It catches again, and then it opens. No. Oh, wow. There's a mower in here. Thing's got to be like 60 years old. Oh, I know that model. Must have been top of the line when it was new. It was, the house thinks, in spite of herself. A memory of the mower, brand new, comes to her in a flash. Why are these people doing this? Stirring up things that should be left to the past. After traipsing around the property, the people leave. This time, the house has a bad feeling they will return. She settles into an uneasy sleep. The house sleeps fitfully for a few weeks on tender hooks expecting the people to come back. But after several weeks of quiet, she slips deeper into a troubled slumber. Late spring comes, bringing heat and damp. The animals in the house are sluggish. The sounds of lawnmowers and the buzzing of weed whackers come and go. But it is the sound of a mallet hitting wood that finally jostles the house from its stupor. Her shutters rattle as she ascends from the depths of sleep. The animals in the house stir and turn over. The sound stops for a moment, and the house begins to doze once more. But then, the sound comes again. The house 
flinches. She gazes out her front windows. She sees a man, one of the people who visited her, hammering a sign into the ground. A for sale sign. What happens next happens swiftly. The sound, so familiar, so lodged in her frame, knocks the house back in time. Decades shrink to nothing as the house's long memory carries her back, far back, to when another mallet hit another for sale sign into place when she was just a few days old. This one'll go quick, the man says to a woman who stands nearby with her arms crossed over her chest, squinting against the bright afternoon sun. Well, we can't wait to meet our new neighbors. She's a beauty, isn't she? Best on the block, I'd say. We're grateful for ours, of course, but once I saw this one going up, I'll admit I was a bit jealous. The man smiles. This one'll go quick, he repeats. He hits the sign into place once more, then stands back to admire his work. The house, 50 yards from the road and nearly as far from the sign, watches this exchange with a sense of wonder. The world is new. She is new. She does not yet know the fairy tale that will unfold for her. She does not yet know what it's like to serve a purpose, her purpose. The next few days are a whirlwind. Families visit. They marvel at the workmanship of the staircase. They run their hands across the kitchen counter. They talk of holidays and family dinners. Within a week, the sign out front is taken down. One of the families who visited comes back. This time, a truck brings their belongings. A few pieces of furniture, some beds. The house is flustered by men carrying a dresser up the stairs. One of the men loses his footing for a half second. The dresser scrapes against the freshly painted wall. It is the house's first scar. She wears it with pride. These early days of life are a dream, and the house soaks up each detail. Little licks from the family dog, who inspects every corner. Wood floors so new, they still remember vertical life in the tree. Curtains still creased from folds in a shipping container. Appliances that sparkle. When the children tramp through the house, bounding up the stairs, their shoes leave invisible marks. Over the years, thousands of those unseen marks will add up to very visible scuffs and grooves. But in those early days, the house is pristine. The movements of the people are startling at first, when the children leap across the floor, the floor remains rigid. But slowly, slowly, over time, the house 
learns her part in the dance of their childhoods. After a while, when they jump down those last few steps of the staircase, the floor gives ever so slightly, as if to catch them. The door frame's sharp edges soften with so many touches from little palms. The house understands this is how she becomes a home. She is filled with furniture and linens and children's art on the walls and laughter. She is filled with joy. As time goes on, the house takes a special liking to the little girl in the family. She has a toy raccoon that she carries with her everywhere she goes. Raccoony is its name. Raccoony drags against the grain of the wood floors, a surprisingly pleasant feeling for the house. The girl hums to herself as she plays. Once, when she is seven, she takes a pencil and writes her name on the inside of her closet. The house feels a swell of... The house is knocked back to the present by the sound of a pickup truck starting. The man who hammered the for sale sign into place has packed up his things. The truck rumbles down the block and out of sight. Even in the warm spring air, the house feels a chill run through her uninsulated walls. These long-ago memories, especially those of the little girl, stir up her, well, her phantom feelings. I should explain. When creatures lose limbs, they sometimes experience phantom limb sensation. At times, it feels as though their missing arms or legs are still with them. The house has similar feelings. Even after sitting empty for all these years, the utilities turned off ages ago, there are times when she swears she feels the rush of water through her pipes, ready to spill from the tap into a waiting kettle. There are times when she feels the delightful pluck of a light bulb switching on. Other times she feels the familiar flood of warmth of the radiators heating up against her walls. The most vivid feeling that she gets is that of the ancient rocking chair easing back and forth on the porch. Every time the house has these phantom feelings, she feels a surge of happiness well up in her frame. But the happiness is always followed by a descent into sadness as she realizes none of them are real. They are mirages taunting her, reminding her briefly of all she has lost. The mallet on the for sale sign, the memories brought with it of the little girl, 
the soft drag of her pencil scribbling in the closet, they all bring a wave of phantom feelings. The house shivers as she feels little palms against the walls and footy pajama-clad feet sliding across the floorboards. She swears she can hear giggles echoing down the hall after a too-late bedtime. The house stiffens, trying to will the memories away. Now that the truck has gone, the street is quiet, except for the sound of a dog howling in the distance. It sounds lonely, the house thinks. She tries to push away the next thought, but it won't leave. Lonely, like me. The for sale sign begins to seem like a cruel trick. The house's only experience with the for sale sign was long ago when a dozen families streamed through her door within days of the sign being planted in the yard. This time, no one comes. The house sits restless for weeks. Sleep does not come. The animals sense the tension. The bats take longer to tuck themselves in each day, fidgeting and shifting for hours before falling into an uneasy rest. The basement dramas are put on hold. With the house's agitation, the comfortable stillness is gone. The mice and rats huddle in hiding places where the snakes cannot find them. The entire house is on edge. Weeks pass without so much as a pedestrian passing on the sidewalk. Then, on a Saturday morning, in midsummer, two cars turn into the driveway. The house watches them come to a stop and cut their engines. The cars open. Out of one comes a young couple. Out of the other is a woman, wearing large bangles around her wrists that click together as she walks, and dangly earrings that catch the sunlight. The three of them walk the property. They cover every inch outdoors. Then they step onto the porch. There is something about these people that makes the house want to impress them. She tries not to let the porch creak. Oh well. The people peek in the windows, but they don't stop there. The woman with the bangles fiddles with something attached to the doorknob. The door swings open. It's the first time anyone has stepped foot in the house in years. The bats upstairs fly out the broken windows. The snakes in the basement slither through cracks in the foundation. The raccoon, napping in the bedroom, scrambles onto the roof and disappears, never to return. The house winces. Every one of her flaws is on display. 
The forlorn furniture, the floors scratched by a thousand claws, the stench of forest life brought indoors. As they move through each room, the house feels as if her wallpaper is being peeled off a panel at a time, like band-aids ripped off skinned knees. But underneath this humiliation is another, less familiar feeling. Something about the couple, the young woman in particular, comforts the house. Soon, the three people leave, and there is quiet once again. Two days later, the for sale sign is gone. The house notices its absence in the mid-morning. Did someone take it in the night? The young couple return. This time, they are alone. This time, as they tour the rooms, the woman scribbles notes on a pad. Upstairs, in the closet, she stoops to graze her fingertips along faded handwriting on the wall. Later, she is out front, inspecting the weathered siding. Someone wanders over, a person the house has never seen. We're thrilled you've bought the place. It's just been sitting here for so long, giving us all the evil eye. My brother does demolition. If you're interested, I can put you in touch. What does it feel like to be demolished, the house wonders. Then it notices the young woman replying, softly, so softly, the house can barely make out what she is saying. It hears, that's right, we're, we're going to fix it up. She says this, sheepishly, a blush blossoming in her cheeks. Fix it up? This thing? The neighbor is incredulous, setting a hand on her hip. The house is alert now. The air goes out of its rooms, leaving it breathless. The dust motes floating, motionless in the stale air. Everything in the house is silent, waiting to hear what comes next. Well, yes, my, my grandmother grew up here. I can't tear it down. The young woman keeps talking gaining confidence as the neighbor listens. We'll have to strip it down to the studs, of course, but our contractor says the, the house are good. is no longer listening. It is reeling from that small statement. My grandmother grew up here. The house shivers as if a chill has come through the windows. She feels her frame tighten as if being squeezed. And just like that, the house is transported back in time. She sees the little girl whispering to the walls, drawing on them with crayon, tracking mud with her little boots. The girl growing up, moving away. For so long, the house has kept the past at bay has closed its doors in the memories, has tried to accept her lot in life as an eyesore, a blight on the neighborhood. 
She has tried to sleep through the rest of her days, believing she had no use other than as a rest stop for wandering creatures, themselves hapless souls, relying on the shelter of an old house rather than braving the wilderness. Now the layers of time come rushing over the house. She feels as if she could collapse from the force of it all. The incredulous neighbor's brows are stitched in a skeptical V. Bye now. Bye. The neighbor leaves. The young woman stays. She makes her way up the front porch steps, the boards creaking. She crosses the porch to the old wooden rocking chair. She settles into it. The house feels the lilt of the curved wood back and forth across her boards. It's just a phantom feeling. She chides herself as she feels the familiar surge of happiness. But a moment later, she corrects herself. No. This time, it's real. The house allows herself to imagine a future. New floors. New walls. New siding. Windows that open and close without sticking. A child. A yappy little dog. The kind that tremors with excitement. Halloween with children bounding up the steps without fear. Holidays, weddings, birthdays, storms, floods, joy and sorrow, calamity and calm. A house can hold all these things, darkness and light within its walls. It is meant to hold all of these things. The house stays awake all day and resolves to stay awake every day. She waits until it is dark and quiet. The people are gone. Through the upstairs windows, the house watches the stars, themselves windows to the past, radiant ghosts from years gone by. They are pinpricks of light against the blanket of night. Light and dark, neither existing without the other. The house gazes at the stars for a long while, embracing the past, envisioning the future. The house sighs. This time, it is a sigh of contentment. She will serve her purpose once more. After a time, she drifts into a deep, restful sleep. I've always had a soft spot for old homes. My last house was older. Not as old as the house in this story, 
but it certainly seemed to keep memories in its walls. An old house has witnessed so many things. So many loves and losses. So many turns of the wheel of life for the people in its rooms. If these walls could talk, what would they say? I wanted to find out. Little Stories for Tiny People is written, performed, and produced by me, Rhea Pector. My in-house tech director, Peter Kay, runs my website and puts my stories in the internet for all of you to enjoy. My new picture book, Little Hedgehog Goes to School, is available now. Find it by visiting littlestoriestinypeople.com forward slash books or by searching for Little Hedgehog Goes to School on Amazon. Thank you to the wonderful listeners who submitted sound effects for this story. Thank you to Nora, Malachi, Henry, Faye, Rowan, Charlotte, Indy, and Tenny. Thank you to Ulrich for providing the super important reminder message at the beginning of this story. And thank you. As always, for listening in.